Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, guys, we have a very special guest today, a dear friend, uh, Dr. Tom Askell. Thank you so much for being with us, Tom. Oh, glad to be a part of it. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, brother, we have a really important topic to cover today, and uh, this just seems to come up over and over and over again uh, everywhere we look, and it's the topic of discernment. Do leaders need discernment? I think we know the answer to that. Uh, but what is going on? Why is it important? But before before we get into that, now that I've gotten every piqued everyone's interest, I'll pull it back a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, Tom, your background for those who may not be as familiar with you. Um, and you've got some really exciting new things happening uh, ministry-wise at the church there. Give us a little bit of background. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We're down on the southwest coast. I've been here for uh, 35 years. In about two or three weeks, it'll be 35 years on the button. Wow. Yeah, I came from Texas, born and raised in Texas, pastored the church during my last part of uh, my studies at Texas A&M, first part of my studies at at Southwestern Seminary, and then served a a church as an assistant pastor uh, for the remaining years at Southwestern and moved out here in 1986. So I'm also the president of Founders Ministries, and we are a ministry that's committed to the reformation of local churches, recover the gospel. Uh, Most recently, we have announced the beginning of the Institute of Public Theology, which will have its first courses being taught this fall, God willing. Tom Nettles will be teaching a course on church history. I'll be teaching a course on uh, pastoral theology in the public square. And uh, Vody Balkum will be teaching in January 2022 a course on cultural apologetics. And we have other guys lined up as well. So we're very excited about it. Tom and myself and Jared Longshore, my associate pastor, and Vody, we're the founding faculty members of this school. And we'll be teaching mostly modular courses, though they're will be some semester courses as well. Uh, It's a hybrid between online uh, classes as well as in-person classes. So you can get more information at Institution of uh, Public Theology, Institute of Public Theology.org. So that's the latest thing. Founders have been doing a lot of things. We have produced some films and published books and host conferences. Uh, So lots, lots of activity. Thanks for that, brother. Yeah, we will make sure we put links to all of that um, and links to the Synodoc that you guys did in the show notes so people can go to that. Certainly would encourage you, if you haven't seen uh, the Synodoc, do that. Uh, check out the Institute of Public Theology. Yeah, there, there's a conference coming up, I think, next year in January, right? Militant and Triumphant. Uh, right. Check that out. We'll we'll link uh, to the founder's website. You do a lot of stuff, brother. You are busy. You guys are are busy down there, uh, but you're fighting the good fight, and you've encouraged a lot of us. So we appreciate that. 
Well, yeah, that, I, I, I would <clears throat> I would add my commendation for that synagogue synodoc uh, by what standard? Um, that was obviously the uh, the documentary on how Resolution Nine got passed, and it has proven since that time to really be the central issue I think within the SBC. And uh, something that is um, ongoing, and I know that uh, we're still trying to. And I'm not part of the SBC, but I know that's uh, that that's a big deal. Um, that that is a dividing issue, right there. Amen, amen. Well, brother, let's jump in. Discernment in leadership. Go for it. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to be discerning as a Christian. We're called to uh, be discerning because there are false teachers, there are false doctrines. And if you're not discerning, you're gullible. And if you're gullible, you're going to be taken captive. And we're told not to be taken captive. Colossians 2, 8, 9, we're, being, we're given so many warnings, Old Testament and New Testament, to watch out and not be ensnared by the devil, not being mm-hmm. taken not to be taken captive by the devil. Uh, we are to recognize and distinguish between the works of light, the works of darkness. Uh, we are to recognize or, or be on the lookout for those who bear false uh, fruit or bad fruit, recognizing that you don't get bad fruit from a good tree. Um, so, so many, so many things. All the warnings in Scripture given to Christians are predicated upon the necessity of having discernment, being wise. And Christian leaders especially uh, have to have this because we're called to shepherd the flock of God. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to recognize that what the Bible says about wolves going around in sheep's clothing and the false prophets and uh, false apostles and the devil himself parading as an angel of light. Uh, all of these things are realities in the world. And Jesus warns us about it, about them. The apostles warn them, warn us about them. And so it's, um, it's naive in the extreme to think that you can just kind of coast through Christian leadership and not be given to real careful discernment. And it's a, so it's a necessity. It's not an option for a Christian of any sort, but especially Christian leaders. You know, I like how Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, discernment's not knowing the difference between right or wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Yeah. Um, I, I would have loved that years and years ago, but now when I look out, you know, and what's happening, it kind of almost appears like we're regressing in terms of doctrine and theology. Instead of having discussions, you know, vigorous debates about the regulative and normative principles of worship, it seems like we're just battling the simplest of doctrines these days. Is that your perception? How did we get to the place where we just can't read a passage that says women can't you know, be elders anymore. Well, I, I tell you, I think our problems are very fundamental. I, I genuinely do. I've been saying this for the last several years now that the most controversial verse in all the Bible is Genesis 1-1. I mean, this really is God's world. God mm-hmm. is the one who created it. Everything exists for His purposes, His glory, and we are a part of the created world which He brought into existence by Himself for himself. And so to live well in his world, we have got to understand what he says about the way we are to live in his world. And God's been so good to us for so long, so many ways, we just take for granted that uh, we we can pretty well do what we want to do and uh, God will be okay with it. You know, I, I've um, 
been very appreciative of Alexander Solzhenitsyn over the last few mm-hmm. years. And I think it was, uh, I, I may get it mixed up. I think it was his Templeton address when he was receiving the Templeton Award that he cited the fact that he had spent the better part of 50 years studying what happened in his motherland in Russia. And that when he was a child, he remembered the uh, older men standing around and saying, you know, talking about what's gone wrong, what happened with the Bolshevik revolution. And they said, we have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened to us. Mm -hmm. He said, after 50 years of study, he said, I don't have a better answer. We have forgotten God. And I think that's happened. I think it certainly mm-hmm. happened in our nation, in Western civilization. But I, I fear that it's happening more and more in the church, in the churches. We assume God. Mm-hmm. We think we know what God is like. We think we know what God wants, what he's said. And so we just kind of coast along on those assumptions. And what we need is to be slapped and stopped, caught short mm-hmm. and, and just say, wait, what does the text say? What does it really say? And uh, it's so starkly different from a lot of our preconceived notions that have given been that have arisen in this uh, way of thinking where we've forgotten God that we just think, oh, it can't be that. You know, surely God's not like that. He wouldn't want that, or he wouldn't deny that. And we just have to come back to the fact that this is God's world. Mm-hmm. We are His creatures. The Church of Jesus Christ has been purchased by His blood, and He's the head, and we are not free to make it up. Mm. I mean, we do see so much of that, right, uh, approaching the text in a way that says, well, m- my God is this way, and so the text can't mean that, right? I, I can't remember who I heard recently. I don't know if it was uh, John MacArthur or someone, but basically they were saying, well, you don't have a God. You, Jesus is not your Jesus. He's Jesus, and yeah. he is who he says he is. Um, it, it was. It was John MacArthur talking about a, a after discussion on an interview he did at a on a night show or something um and the guy kept saying my jesus my jesus and his reply was well you don't have a jesus but we see a lot of that right and and we kind of move the conversation into some of what's happening in the sbc because it's it could broadly be applied to the importance of discernment in in leadership in all the church just speak to a little bit about what we're seeing there i mean there's a big fight in the sbc and the sbc is you know the country's largest uh it's it's not a denomination it's a partnership of churches right but we've got guys who are still um, saying, you know, critical race theory is kind of a boogeyman. Um, We've got guys who say that they affirm things like complementarianism, but it's not really a problem if women cross the line where scripture gives that. I mean, these are these are surely in part discernment issues. Um, I want to be gracious in saying that sometimes I think these guys just read it and don't care. Um, because it's so plain, but speak to some of that, brother. Yeah, well, you do have to wonder at times, you know, I mean, is it really a matter of interpretation when you can take a verse that says, I do not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man or to teach a man or exercise authority over him and cause it to say, yes, I do allow women to teach men and exercise authority over them in the church. Uh, if, if you can make a text say 180 degrees opposite what it says on its face, well, then something bad is going on there. And to be led by people like that, to be duped by people who would stand up and say the Bible doesn't say a thing about women preachers or women pastors or whether or not women can preach to men. Um, I, I, that's not a matter of, in, uh, of of discernment as much as it is, I think, as a matter of uh, 
Uh, well, at least in some cases, let me put it like this. In some cases, it's just a matter of simple honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there may be some people who can really uh, are trying to be honest with the text and they've come to radically different viewpoints. But I fear there's a whole bunch of them. I've talked to them, matter of fact, uh, and it's not really a matter of careful interpretation. There's a lot of things going on underneath the surface that have already kind of uh, precluded what their conclusions will be. And, and let me ask this. How much do you think um, fear of man is involved in this? Because obviously, discern, I agree with you, discernment is one of the most underrated qualities in a leader. It's absolutely essential for a shepherd. I wonder, though, how many people actually, they know the truth, but perhaps they're giving into culture or giving into the tide. Oh, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, we, you know, in forgetting God, we certainly do not fear God. And the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, you know, if you're not fearing God, then then you are not on the pathway to wisdom or understanding. And if you fear God and you're not fearing people, then you're not going to be uh, overly concerned about who is offended or what the, the response might be from people who would strongly disagree with what God says. And I do think that's going on a lot. I think a lot of Christian leaders have become mute and they've started mumbling when they should speak loudly and plainly because of the blowback that comes their way from this cancel culture. And if you're afraid of being called names, you're afraid of people um, making accusations against you and um, afraid of, of maybe being deplatformed, well, then, yeah, that's going to impact the, the what you say, how you say it, and, and when you say things. You know, it's interesting. I, I know a lot of people who want to be sort of like your Charles Spurgeons, and they want to be your Edwards, and they want to be your Martin Luthers. Uh, but when you really look at uh, the things they gave up and sacrificed, and you know, I just think, you know, Spurgeon was kicked out of his denomination, right, uh, for constantly warning about the the downgrade. And man, it seems like Baptists are going fighting this thing again. There seems to be a a, a liberal shift, and um, yet just to kind of get into some of that, we'll have a lot of our listeners that are you know in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I want to encourage them to make it to the convention. It's important because we need. Uh, leaders who have discernment, who are willing to um, make, take the stands that uh, that we know they should make, and um, yeah. So, just talk. How important for Southern Baptists? So we're talking about discernment. Is this convention? What's kind of going on there? Why is it important that we, um, if you're in the SBC, vote for these guys who take the right stances? What does this mean for the convention? Yeah, well, let me say June 14th, which is the Monday before the convention formally convenes on the 15th and 16th, founders will be hosting a one-day conference, and it's called Be It Resolved, which is language taken from a resolution, which the Resolutions Committee has been in the news since 2019 in the fiasco with Resolution 9. And so we are, uh, we're trying to riff off of that and say, look, man, let's quit talking about resolution. Let's start showing some because we need to be men of resolve. And yes, the SBC matters. Uh, it's not that important. You know, people 
sometime inside the SBC, they talk about it as if it's the you know the late the, the greatest thing on earth. Well, it's not that important. The kingdom of God is going to go on with or without the SBC, yeah. and that, that's true of America. It's true of any nation. It's true of any group. So I mean, that's absolutely the, the the reality, and we need to keep that in mind. But the SBC matters because if the SBC, if all the good churches leave the SBC today, it's not going to die tomorrow. It's doing. It's just going to be this massive juggernaut that will be in the hand of bad churches. Mm. It's going to do a lot of damage. It'll do a lot of bad. And it's got great potential to do good. It has done much good throughout history. I mean, it's the it's the most significant missionary sending force in the world today. It educates, I think, one-third of all of the seminary-trained uh, ministers of the gospel in the United States today. Just it, There's so many things that go on in and through the SBC that are significant and I just, you know, wouldn't you want to see those things being led by men who fear God and who tremble at his word? I mean, that's that's what I desire. So, yes, if you're Southern Baptist, if you're a Southern Baptist pastor, especially, but if you're a Southern Baptist church member, you get a vote. And so I would encourage you to get to Nashville, uh, vote for a good candidate to be president. Mike Stone is, is the guy that I'm going to vote for. He's a pastor. He gets it. He, he understands the issues. He's uh, very much a statesman. He's a pastor of a local church in Georgia. And uh, I just admire him for his integrity and his courage, his willingness to stand up and to um, to say what's right, what's wrong, where we need to go. Um, you know, there, there are four people that are candidates right now for the president of the SBC. I don't know two of them, although I, I met, I know a little bit about Randy uh, Adams, who's the executive director of the Pacific Northwest Convention, I think. And, you know, we've corresponded and he seems like a, a man of integrity. I'm sure Ed Litton is a man of integrity. I know Al, Al Moeller, you know, is, but we need a pastor. You know, Al's president of the seminary. We need a pastor. Uh, Ed is uh, very sympathetic to the whole woke movement and uh, to the critical social justice stuff. Uh, we don't need that. That's what got us in this mess. That's what's taken us captive in so many ways mm -hmm. and is infiltrating things. And uh, Randy is not a pastor either. So Mike Stone is a pastor who sees the issues, gets the issues, is willing to address the issues from a uh, conservative, humble point of view. And so that's the kind of man that we need to lead us right now. Hmm. It's a good point that you bring up that he's a pastor, Tom. And, and maybe just for our broader general audience here, why is it important that we look to pastors as the spiritual leaders of the church? I mean, it's a simple question, but especially now with all the COVID stuff and you got guys who still aren't attending a local gathering, welcome to speak to that if you want. Um, and you can get to anyone you want to online, right? So you've got guys who are looking to seminary presidents, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but what, why is it important that people generally look towards past to past for oversight and, and spirituality in the church? Well, yeah, the, I mean, it's a God-ordained office. So, you know, the, the pastors have been given to churches as gifts to those churches to help people get to heaven. I mean, that, I, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is wonderful, 
And in Interpreter's House, he's got that great description of a pastor who's got the world behind mm-hmm. his back. You know, he's got heaven in front of him. He's got the best of all books on his hands, in his hands. He's got the word of truth on his lips. I mean, that's that's a man who, who knows how to shepherd people. He gives mm-hmm. birth to people. He helps them as a, a midwife. And then you've got Greatheart, who also leads people safely to the dark river. You've got Valiant for Truth, who knows how to stand firm and to wield the sword effectively against those that would uh, do God's people in that the sin that dwells within us so pastors are what that's god's idea you know god gives pastors to churches and praise god for other christian leaders you know they they can do wonderful things but every christian needs a church and every church needs pastors so just that's the structure that god himself has ordained and i think like in an organization like the sbc it needs to be led by pastors because you know, pastors, you, you men know, you, you stand to give an account before God. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that we do what we do as those who must one day give an account. Every week, every week, I look at people that uh, I'll give an account for before God. I preach to them. I plead with them and for them and plead to God in their behalf. And uh, I want someone that has that kind of gravitas upon them to be given leadership in the mm-hmm. convention of churches and the association of churches, because there's a weightiness that goes with that stewardship that is not found in any other place of Christian leadership. That's not denigrating any other place of Christian leadership. It's just acknowledging that God in his wisdom ordained this one in ways that he didn't ordain executive directors or presidents. I mean, I'm a president of an organization, uh, a parachurch organization, but that doesn't even begin to compare to the work that God has established men, qualified men to do in local churches, the, the work of pastor. Mm. Yeah, and these these associations are nothing without the churches, and the churches are nothing without the people. So we're talking about the people of God and how they're being led, and specifically led by the God-ordained position of pastor. And I, and I love how you mentioned um, the, um, really, Ephesians 4.11 is the gift of pastor given to the church. In fact, our church, our motto here is growing together in Christ, uh, being taken really from that verse. Pastors are called to edify and build up the church and, and the saints, and so they they would be in a position to know better than anyone else um, the days, uh, the the ins and outs, and the struggles, and the challenges, and especially in this age with all of these challenges that are going on, there's a lot of confusion. And when we talk about critical social justice and how some people are sympathetic to it, now Tom, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you wouldn't say that justice is not important or caring for those who are oppressed or poor is not important, but maybe talk to us just briefly. What is the difference between our care for the poor and for orphans and widows versus kind of this critical social justice position. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's sad that they co-opted the language of justice because uh, I'm opposed to critical social justice because I am for justice. And you can't be both. You cannot be for God's justice as he's revealed it in his word and be a proponent for what is going on under this banner of social justice today. The two things are antithetical. I'm more convinced of that than I've ever been, and I've been convinced of it for a long time now. So when we talk about justice, we, we've got to get our definition straight. We've got to understand that God is the one who defines it, because God is the only just one. He is righteousness. And so what he says is right is what is right, and what he says is just is just, as well as what is gracious and charitable. God's the one who defines all of that. 
the critical social justice movement says, oh, no, we will tell you what is equitable. We will tell you what is right. We will tell you what is beneficent. And here's what uh, you ought to do in order to try to aspire to all those things. And it starts from a presupposition that is fundamentally flawed because it denies the God who is and the fact that the God who is has created everything else that is not God. So we are back to square one. It's Genesis 1-1. This critical social justice movement is materialistic in its origins. That is, it has no place for God, and it tries to view the world. It does view the world in terms of uh, power dynamics. So all human relationships are measured in terms of power, and you either have power or you don't. And it depends upon your intersectional uh, value as to whether or not you have certain power or whether or not you have less power. And then if you have less, then you are oppressed. And if you have more, you're an oppressor. And what has to happen is those relationships need to be deconstructed in any kind of uh, institution or organization that would foster the ongoing nature of those relationships has to be overthrown because they are a part of the problem. That's why you get statements like, you know, racism can exist without a racist being in the room because the structures are racist and there's inherent, uh, undeniable, um, widespread systemic structural racism. And it doesn't matter if anybody has sinful partiality in their hearts and minds at all. That's, that's irrelevant because the structures themselves are the problems. They must be overthrown. And of course, once you, get onto that ground, then the gospel is not enough because the gospel is not designed to uh, evangelize structures. The gospel changes hearts. And what you need then is a political uh, answer and a political uh, upheaval, which is what we're seeing take place in our world today. And it's what some are trying to import into the church. So yes, I am absolutely for justice. Absolutely. But justice defined by God, which means I cannot be for this critical social justice movement. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something I think very important is that critical social justice is really moving in unison with the world. So as we look around the nation, the nation's moving further and further away from God, and it's not coincidental that this is part of that storyline. And so tying it back to the importance of having a man who's leading the association who is a man of the church um, should be someone who understands, and I think what you're getting at, not just a man of the church, but someone who is firmly rooted in a biblical worldview and not swayed or influenced by how the world sees it, and, and, and not even unalarmed by the fact that we seem to be moving in the same direction as the world that's moving away from God. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, you know, I look at people every week. I talk to our folks. we got people in our church that have passed up uh, promotions and switched jobs. They're in danger of getting fired because they refuse to— uh, uh, to pretend that something's reality that is not. And I mean, that, and every week, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at them, I'm counseling with them, praying for them, praying with them. And there's a weightiness that goes with that. And I, I see these things are happening to them in their schools, in their workplaces, in their relationships, in their extended families. And it's because of these godless ideologies that are just sweeping over our culture. And so it means something to me in a way that it wouldn't if I were not pastoring these people to try to recognize it, to stand against it, to destroy the arguments that come out of it. That's what we're called to do in Second Corinthians 10. We are to destroy the arguments of these 
false ideologies. You know, we talk about discernment. Um, pastors should be able to look at what is going on around us. You're talking about the critical race theory, uh, intersectionality, this kind of thing, and be able to see that it is antithetical to Christian faith and practice. But we see a lot of guys who rather than um, are noticing that, or if they are, they're ignoring it, who are embracing it. I mean, we've got guys with really large platforms that are standing up there saying, you know, I'm, I'm a racist and just because I'm white kind of thing. Right. And so for the folks who are, who are looking and saying, man, I really, I, I see the value of being in a church with discerning elders, discerning pastors, discerning leaders, um, what what are some things that I can look for? You've got, uh, I think you guys did on your on your own show uh, talking about guys that are looking to move from state to state, right? And and building your life around the church, which I thought that was extremely helpful for for those guys looking and saying, I I see, I need a pastor, I need to sit under the teaching and training and preaching of men who know this, know what's going on in the world, who will stand up to that, who are discerning. How do I make that decision? What do I look for? Well, it's vitally important, and I've said it for years, and I believe it again more strongly than ever. Find a healthy church. Build your life around it. That's the most significant counsel I can give to any believer. Uh, do that. Well, how do you determine whether a church is healthy? Well, you do need to talk to the leaders. You need to watch the leaders. Find out from the leaders. Who are they reading? What do they think about some of these uh, top books today being recommended by those who are advocating this social justice movement. You know, how, how do they respond to how to be an anti-racist or the color of compromise by Jamar Tisby? Uh, what, what are their, what's their attitude toward the LGBTQ agenda? How do they feel about the Black Lives Matter movement? I mean, all these things, just ask those questions. And then also, sadly, but again, uh, the whole COVID, what's the relationship between church and state? What is the job of the magistrate? What are the limitations of the magistrate? And if the magistrate says you can't meet and uh, we've got something that is unprecedented happening here, you got to shut down and the church does it out of respect and out of a sense of, okay, you know, we're not sure. And and God's given some responsibility to the magistrate. And then a year later, they're still telling you, oh, no, you've got to do this because uh, we're still, you know, trying to figure this out. Well, you need discernment. You don't need a lot. You just need honesty and courage to say, you know what? These magistrates have stepped out of their lane. They're, they're doing what they have never been called by God to do. So ask the questions. You, you need to be educating yourself. And sadly, in, in large swaths of evangelicalism in America over the last generation or two, we've not done a very good job of this. Our pietism has been largely subjective and uh, largely kind of me and Jesus and inside the walls of the church building, we've not recognized the lordship of Christ over every area of life, including the government. So Romans 13 is thrown on the table a lot. Yeah, it's a trump card. Do whatever Caesar says. Well, Romans 13 says Caesar is the deacon of God. He's the servant of God. And servants ought to obey their masters. And if they're not going to obey their masters, then we who know their master are to tell them that they're accountable to the master and we are not to disobey our common master simply because those civil servants refuse to obey him. All of that is part of it. And yeah, we do. We got people moving to Cape Coral and we're not the only place, but from all over, we got a letter today from a, uh, a brother in Canada. His church has been seized and by the government authorities. And they're looking to move. He said, I'm about to lose my job 
is there any way that you can help me find a job? You know, it's, I mean, I hate it. I hate it, but it's happening. I would, I would strongly encourage Christians to gather together with like-minded believers in, in local churches and strengthen those churches and, and work and be diligent and, you know, create a, almost a, a counter economy uh, because um, there are things getting deplatformed all the time. Jobs are going to be lost. We're, we're doing that here locally, uh, encouraging guys to start their own businesses, figure out ways they can make a living where they're not dependent upon corporations. I mean, all of those kind of things are, are food for thought at this time going forward. That's good stuff to think about. And I, I specifically like the encouragement for people to build their lives around the church because it puts the church back where it should be, the, the center of what we do. I mean, people will drive across the entire country for a job that they hate, that they don't make enough money in. Um, they'll, they'll move across the country, you know, to put their kids in a school, right? They'll uproot for just about everything. But the church, it often seems. And so, no, that's that's helpful. And I think, um, would, would you say maybe for the kind of average person out there who they're working hard, they're trying to provide for their family, maybe they don't have as much time to get into, uh, you know, reading about the Frankfurt School and, and, you know, Marxism and how that's developed into, you know, what we know as social justice today. Maybe one of the foundational places, uh, things to look for when you're looking at a church is, does it seem like, does it look like, does it give the feel that the the church is trying to appease the world trying to appease the government trying to rather than does it does is it clear that they're they're going back to scripture for everything i mean that's a pretty easy place to start wouldn't you say yeah it, it is uh it really is and when you start stripping everything away that's what it boils down to but sadly what's happening today I, I, a friend of mine tom nettles put it as clearly as i've heard it put when he said what we're seeing today is like the old social gospel movement of the early 20th century without the liberalism. Mm. And mm. so you have people, these are all people that still are claiming to be inerrantists. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And yet, and mm. yet they're still being played in these directions that are undermining the sufficiency of scripture. So there's, you've got to ask the right questions. And one one thing I think is always good. I encourage church members when they're moving, find out who the elders, who the pastors are reading. You know, who are their favorite authors, mm-hmm. and what books have they read most recently, and who do they listen to? What conferences do they uh, appreciate going to and benefiting from? And then ask them about some of these issues. You know, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? What do you think about the uh, way the government's handled COVID and uh, how how did the church respond and what's your plans on going forward and how do you make decisions about those kinds of things? Um, you know, you can you can ask questions in a, mm-hmm. in a non-threatening way, which we ought to do in a very humble way, but in a way that will provide opportunity for the answers to be given that will be very clarifying. Or if there's hesitancy to give simple, straight answers, that also will be clarifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those lightning rod issues that we're talking about um, really are um, good tests, I think, of the church. And and I've, I actually gave similar advice to someone late last year that if you're looking for a new church, one of the first questions I would ask is, what do you think the solution is to all the division that we're seeing today between people? And if the answer is anything other than Jesus Christ or the gospel, then find another church. Yeah, um, because I, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of churches uh, capitulate uh, on that. 
Amen. I agree. Yeah. Look at their social media. Uh, that tells you a lot sometimes, but yeah, I think sure, it's sure. good. You, you know, we've kind of developed a habit of just, I, I think it's Vody who at least I know kind of coined that whole 11th commandment thing, right? We want to be so nice that we don't want to ask those important questions, but but we have to and not worry about, you know, if someone's going to be offended, like you said earlier, not that we try to be offensive, you know, heaven forbid we try to be offensive, um, but truth is important. Um, you know, let, let me jump in because we brought up the COVID issue a couple of times. And this is this is interesting to me because I, I find that people who are on our side, you know, the when it comes to the critical social justice issues that, hey, but God is the one who defines uh, what justice is. And, you know, we, um, you know, we recognize the false anthropology and, and the worldview that comes with Marxism and critical theory. But then when you get to the COVID issue, which seems on surface not to have anything to do with the kind of the critical social justice or the racism, um, I'm finding that we tend to be on the same sides on the COVID issue as well. Should mm-hmm. churches gather? Should they shut down? Um, any insight into, into that, Tom? How is it that we're falling on the same sides uh, of both those issues when those issues don't seem to be directly correlated to one another? Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're maybe not you know, at the fruit level, but certainly at the root level they are correlated because the question is, is Jesus Christ king? Is Christ king? Is he Lord of all? Well, if he is, then he gets to define justice. He gets to define what's right, what's wrong, what's equal, uh, what what the the hierarchies. We're not going to be trying to tear down all hierarchies because we recognize that those hierarchies that are a part of nature in creation and a part of grace in terms of the structures of family and church, that these are designed by our king. And so as subjects of the king, we submit to that. And then when it comes to how we are to live in the world, well, we live before the Lord who is uh, sovereign over life and death. He conquered death. So death doesn't have the final say in our lives. And yes, we might die from COVID, but if so, that means more of Christ. And so we're relieved from the the pangs of death in that sense. It's an enemy, but it's the last enemy. And we know it'll be the last enemy that we fight. And he's Lord of the church. So we don't listen to the wait for the see what the governor tells us, whether or not we can meet or how we can meet or say, you know, I mean, I, I tell you, I just, I lost it a few times when I, I listened to civil magistrates say to church leaders and church leaders just acquiesce to it. Well, you can work worship just as easily online or, you know, you can you can have 12 people and no more. Why, you know, you can do that. And I'm thinking, who, why are we taking our marching orders from governors and mayors? I mean, really? We have a king. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, at, yeah. In one sense, it looks like they're unrelated. But at the root, it's the same thing. You know, is Christ Lord? If he's Lord, well, then let's go to his book and do the best we can to understand it and apply it. And uh, we don't want to be obnoxious. We don't be unnecessarily offensive, but we do want to say, you know what? Jesus is Lord, not the governor, not the state, Amen. not Amen. any of these other officials that, that have authority from God, but those that, that authority that he's given them is to be exercised in their specific realms. Mm. Amen. I, I love that answer because a lot of times we get accused of being political, right? Or we're siding with the Republicans or we're, we're being conspiracy theorists or whatnot. But really is there is a biblical reason for our positions on both. And I like that uh, you took it right back to lordship. I mean, who is our king? And that's that's Jesus Christ. And uh, he is sovereign. He is king. He is in control of all things. And as you said, if we die, and here's another thing, I, and maybe I'll um, get your thoughts on this as well. I'm finding that 
Um, there is also a difference of emphasis between the age to come and this current age between the two parties. Are you seeing that as well? Well, explain a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, I, I, and what I mean by that is uh, when I think of First Peter one thirteen, Peter says, "Set your hope completely upon the revelation to be to, the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." So we understand that our life here, whatever happens in our life here, we have something greater that awaits us. Yeah, that's right. Two worldview. You know, I'm, when I was a young young man, a student, uh, J.I. Packer uh, spoke at a little breakfast that I got invited to. And he made that point, and it's lived with me. He said, man, you, you must never lose a two-world view. You must always have a two-world view, this world, the world to come. Uh, so, yes, we want to be faithful here. We want to be as diligent here. We want to see uh, God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, you know, kingdom come. We want all of that. But we know that when we breathe our last here, the, what's awaiting us is far better. And so we, we live for that world to come, which sets us free to live well here and now. Amen. Um, in some ways, God's made it really easy to see where people are right now, I think. And and in some ways, I think, you know, there's a huge blessing God has given us because these issues are so public, they're so out there. It's not hard to look at pastors specifically and see where, where they are. Are they ruled by this world? Um, not saying they, you know, they don't love Jesus. They don't, I'm not saying they're not saved, but are they, are they ruled by God and the truth and scripture? he's given us um, or are they ruled by the world in some way and so we can look at those things and say you know all right this is not a healthy place i need to find a good healthy place and you know i i don't have a problem telling someone look if you don't have a if you don't have a healthy church with healthy biblical elders in your area move Uh, plan a church if they're qualified men around or move make changes in your life it's important it's the most important thing i think um, is to be in a healthy biblical church uh, in in a good healthy community, and maybe um, you know as things continue getting uncomfortable here, we'll wake up and realize just how important it is. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if we see the government put more pressure on churches in the future. I don't know how quickly that'll come, um, but if churches are folding up, then you know that's find another one. If you're still closed. In, in, in the U.S., or I mean, I would even say, I mean, look at Canada. We just had another pastor arrested, right, recently. Um, you know, we've got areas here in Alaska that are still closed for a year now. Uh, find a new church. Yeah, you know, and I, I think every group of elders is responsible to lead their congregations to the best of their ability. And, and I know different locales are different and God's blessed us here in Southwest Florida. We, we've got a wonderful governor who's uh, tried to stay in his lane and it's been helpful to us, but it has been a year. It has been a year. And I do fear that there are some churches that um, have stayed closed when they should have been opened a long time ago uh, without me trying to interfere with the leadership of those local shepherds but i would say to my fellow pastors brothers um look at what you're doing you're going to give an account one day and you look at the toll that is being taken i mean if you just look at the economics that's that's significant but look at the soul look at the what's happening to souls we we've had people come to our church and weep because it's the first time they've been in church in mm-hmm. months one one person in over a year uh they just showed up from another state and wept. I mean, it just, 
there's a toll being taken. God didn't design the church as an add-on or something that's just uh, incidental. It is integral to the Christian life. Yeah, and those responses, I've seen similar responses as well from people who've been away from a while. And I think it all goes to point to the same truth that Internet Church is not a church. Right. Um, it is not there. There's no replacement uh, for being there um, in person. Now, let me ask you this, because we're seeing a lot of churches in Canada. We've mentioned this a few times, but churches in Canada are shutting down, having to meet underground, at least. Um, do you have some thoughts or, or uh, opinions as to how close or how far away are we from that here in America? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> You know, we, we've got a better Bill of Rights in our Constitution than the Charter of Rights, as I understand it, in Canada. And uh, yet, you know, I've spoken now to two Canadian pastors we, on the Sword and Trial podcast that I'm a part of. Uh, we interviewed Joe Boot a week or so ago. And we've uh, just interviewed James Coates as well. It'll come out next week. And both of those brothers together with emails that i've gotten from other pastors they they said they couldn't believe it happened there you know they they just they're stunned that it happened there so given how fast things have deteriorated in our nation no i don't think it's beyond us uh i still hope that there are enough pastors in this nation with backbone Mm -hmm. and who uh understand the issues more and more actually that are growing to understand the issues that it will be harder to do in this country. But again, you know, there are still churches in the United States that are shut down. So it's it's been demonstrated that the government can say, oh, you can't meet or you shouldn't meet. And pastors have jumped to and said, okay. And long past when the evidence would indicate to the contrary. So uh, yeah, I think, I think there will be a great, uh, well, there already is, you know, kind of a, a, a great revelation, a great, shaking down to see who stands where and there really is a divide you know Vody balkan's book fault lines mm. came out a month or so ago and it's well on yeah. that point yeah yeah that that was an excellent book and and i think it is a litmus test uh, for people looking for a church if you find a church that has been mm. that is still shut down or has been shut down for a significant portion of last year to me those are red flags would you agree with that Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would want to know uh, there, there might be some extenuating circumstances that I can't conceive that would justify it. But um, but by and large, you know, I, I can't envision a church staying closed all year. Yeah, there's another thing coming up that I've, I've been reading some articles on that will, I think, be another big red flag. And, and you can speak to this, uh, Tom, is this whole uh, separating in the church by vaccinated, unvaccinated, mm-hmm. um, w- without necessarily speaking to whether or not people take the vaccine. I think that's a personal choice. You can do your own research. And I have my opinion. But um, if, if you walk into a church and there's a section Right. For people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, which some some quote unquote churches are doing that already. That's another big red flag for me. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we we grapple with this a little bit uh, as elders years ago because there was a you know anti-vax movement among parents not wanting their children to be vaccinated with vaccinate vaccines that have been around a long time and have certainly been through the tests and uh, protocols that the COVID vaccines have not. 
And you know, what do you do when you have parents with children who have not been vaccinated? Do you do they get to go in the classes? You know, do they get to go in the nursery? And how do you handle that? So it's a shepherding issue. But once you begin to, uh, you know, you, you have the vaccinated section and the non-vaccinated section, there are there are some deep issues that uh, you can't afford to overlook. If you overlook it, you'll do it to your peril mm-hmm. because there's a lot more going on there than just health care. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of other things happening, so it needs wisdom. And man, I wouldn't do it. Uh, there might be a might be some extenuating circumstances again, and we do. You know, we 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 provide space still. Not many people take us take us up on it anymore, but we still provide space for those that, for whatever reasons, you know, whether it's fear, whether it's uh, comorbidities or family relations or whatever, they can sit isolated from the rest of the congregation, still be apart, still be there, but they're not going to be in close contact. And, you know, we, we want to make allowances for that, but we don't want to to build a, uh, a principled approach going forward on that. Those are exceptions. But I like that approach because you're basically leaving it up to the individual. If you're not comfortable being with the general congregation, you want to be separated. That's your choice. We have a different area for you, but we're not forcing you to segregate based upon these factors. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So you made a good point there. It's not about, um, you know, telling anyone whether they should or shouldn't take the vaccine, you know, all that aside. That's not my role as as a shepherd in the church, right, to tell people whether they should or shouldn't take the vaccine. But certainly we shouldn't be segregating people based on that. I mean, in my mind, that's not much different um, than segregating people based on their skin color, right, which we kind of hear that language already. I've not seen any churches actually do it physically, but um, you know, the whole critical race theory language and stuff separates the body of Christ based on skin color, right? Um, I, I know the first article that I read and saw that the church, uh, this, you know, it was a liberal so-called church, but had the sections roped off, right? And a little smiley face on the one side, if you've been vaccinated, even on their sign. Um, and then you had the other section, which was, which was basically like, you know, you you guys are the pariah, you know, you have you have the disease, the sickness, so sit over here. Um, man, in my, that's just not something the church should ever even uh, contemplate in, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Tom, I really, we really appreciate you joining us today. And as we kind of get close to wrapping up, I want to take it back to um, maybe just two groups of people that if you could speak to, one to um, pastors particularly, um, wh- whether they're on the fence, they're thinking, uh, I'm not sure I had the discernment that I, I need to have, or um, maybe I haven't uh, really stood up for truth and I've been swayed by the world. Maybe you can speak to those guys. Um, and then to just the, the average everyday Christian who is listening to this and they're like, discernment, I'm, you know, what do I do from here? I, I hear what you're saying, so I want to start uh, learning myself and really make sure that I'm in a good healthy place. Uh, maybe just speak to those two groups of people, the, the shepherd and the guys um, who are looking for uh, a good place to be shepherded. Yeah. Well, to my fellow pastors, I would say, brothers, you know, we don't, 
we don't get a choice in this. This is what God called us to. We're, we're responsible to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, there are people who are counting on us. We will give an account to God for how we care for them. And we cannot afford to get these things wrong. And uh, I, I understand the pressure and I understand some of the difficulty. It took me a, a while to get my mind around what was happening. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I wouldn't, could hardly let myself believe it until uh, it was irrefutable in my research and my conversations with people that um, you know should know. So anyway, uh, under you, you don't get a pass. You've got to understand the issues. You can't say, "Oh well, you know, I don't, I don't get this stuff." Well, you you get the Bible, and you need to get the Bible enough to do what Titus one nine tells you to do. You, know, you are to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. That's a job of a pastor. And Second uh, Corinthians 10, again, you are to destroy the arguments that come against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get a pass on that. So you, if you don't feel equipped, well, okay, here's an opportunity to, to get better equipped. So get Bodie Balkum's book, Fault Lines. Uh, Founders has put out some books. We're trying to equip folks. Uh, the, the documentary that was mentioned earlier, By What Standard, you don't even have to read. Just It's about an hour and 50-minute documentary. That will bring you up to speed on a lot of these issues. We published a book by that title as well. It, you can read the chapters individually. You don't have to read it straight through, but it's got chapters by Bodie Balkum in there on cultural Marxism and ethnic Gnosticism that are worth the price of the book. Uh, we also did another book called Strong and Courageous, uh, Following Jesus in the Amid the Rise of America's New Religion. And, and I would say to my fellow pastors, look at the number of times in the scriptures in the Old Testament we're told to be, there it is, <laughs> strong and courageous, to be strong and courageous. That phrase is in the Bible, and we are obligated to that. To, to other Christians who are not pastors, man, uh, find you some good pastors and support them. You know, be as be as uh, encouraging as you can be to them to do their job. Pray for them. Labor alongside them. And you too can read. You can watch this this documentary. It, it doesn't doesn't cost you anything. It's free on YouTube. It'll take two hours of your time and just sit down and watch it. Churches have shown that documentary to their whole congregations to great effect. So there are resources available to you. Again, we're, we're producing some. Uh, smaller episodes. I think we've got four or five that are out now called Wield the Sword on different biblical issues that are under attack in our day, just trying to give the positive teaching on what the Bible is, what manhood and womanhood is, what marriage is, what aesthetics are, uh, what education is, what vocation is, all of these types of things that are available. They're free on YouTube. You can go to the Founders YouTube channel and uh, spend a lot of time there getting up to speed. But Overall, my final word would be, brothers and sisters, man, let's don't be afraid. We have nothing to fear. Uh, we have God. Jesus Christ rules. He reigns. He's conquered sin, death, hell, and uh, this world belongs to him. We're here for just a, a moment. Our lives are a vapor. So let's be as diligent as we can in the few years that he gives us, whatever strength he gives us, and represent Christ well. Don't compromise. Don't be bashful in declaring his gospel and making disciples and trust him to do with us whatever he will amen amen well there's no better place to end than on that thank you so much tom for joining us today uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in to us and until next time let the truth be known 
The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.